Welcome back to The Key, Inside Higher Ed's news and analysis podcast. I'm Doug Letterman, editor and co-founder of Inside Higher Ed and host of The Key most of the time. Today, though, we have a special episode from our new limited series, Voices of Student Success. Student success is a growing priority for many institutions as leaders grapple with public doubt about the value of higher education, a looming demographic enrollment decline, and historically high levels of mental health issues among Gen Z learners. In this six-episode series, host Ashley Malreader explores some of the solutions and innovations that institutions are employing to help their students succeed in college and beyond. Before we turn it over to Ashley, here's a quick word from our sponsor, Inside Track. This episode is brought to you by Inside Track, the nonprofit leader in student success coaching for more than 20 years. Inside Track uses the power of coaching to support individuals in achieving their educational and career goals, transforming lives and institutions while creating social change. Learn more about this important work at insidetrack.org slash the key. Hello, and welcome to Voices of Student Success, Inside Higher Ed's newest podcast on student retention, engagement, and graduation strategies. I'm your host, Ashley Malreader, student success reporter for Inside Higher Ed. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast is a companion to our student success newsletter, which offers ideas and inspiration for higher education practitioners who are looking to impact students' academic lives, college experiences, health and wellness, and lives after graduation. Over the next few episodes, I'll be sitting down with guests from a variety of institutions and roles to learn more about the issues that their students face and the ways leaders are looking to support them. This episode, I spoke with Jody Green, the Associate Campus Provost for Academic Success at the University of California, Santa Cruz, to talk about the faculty role in student success and how inclusive course design can support learners of all kinds. Here's Jody. Jody, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. It's wonderful to have you on. Thanks so much, Ashley. It's great to be here. Uh, well, just to get us started, can you talk a little bit about your role at UCSC and um, what's entailed in your purview and why this new role was created? Yeah, so I came out uh, of the faculty after about 20 years to found the Campus Teaching Center. And in the process of doing that, it really became clear that with the student success movement, with our becoming a Hispanic serving institution and an anapesi, and just in general with the movement for educational equity and public higher ed, that we needed someone to kind of sit at the juncture of student success and faculty success. So my current role is the Associate Campus Provost for Academic Success. It's a pure strategy role. So I don't have a division. I don't have direct reports. And I just work with the provost and to some degree with the chancellor to really think about what it means to be a world-class research university that is also a minority-serving institution that is student-centered. Yeah, absolutely. So the term academic success in your title is interesting, like you mentioned, because it encompasses faculty and student success. Can you talk a little bit about that relationship and how they are hinged on one another? Yeah, I mean, I think for a long time, the student success movement, this is an overstatement, but not a wild overstatement, has occurred a little bit outside of the purview of the faculty. We've had this idea that we could bring on student-facing programs and expand our student affairs, student engagement, student success divisions. But really, at most, at least research universities, that movement has really bypassed the faculty. And on the faculty side, the faculty has not shown significant interest in this movement. And I think this is the moment in the University of California in particular 
because of an agreement that recently has occurred between our governor and the president of the UC system that really binds us to eliminating equity gaps and improving our graduation rates for both transfer and frosh admits. That's something that we cannot do without the faculty because it involves the design of courses and curricula, which of course is exclusively within the purview of the faculty. So my job kind of has two parts. One part is to engage the faculty in the part of student success that is exclusively within their sphere of influence. So that's really teaching, course design, curriculum design, and mentoring. So that's kind of half of it. And then the other half, so that's what I call the non-additive model of student success, right? Where we're really thinking about how to do deep transformation. And then on the other side is the faculty success side, which is we haven't really had a sustainable approach to student success at most of our institutions of higher education. And so the question is, what needs to change about the distribution of faculty labor in order to make being a minority serving student centered university sustainable and feasible? Because you cannot simply leave everything else in place and then tell the faculty to transform the institution on the educational side. That's not a sustainable approach. Yeah. I know in the past couple of years since the pandemic, the role of the faculty member has changed quite a bit. What's been expected of the faculty member or um, how we see faculty contributing to student success. Can you talk a little bit about that paradigm shift and how you are challenging that almost by saying this isn't not an additive model? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the big sort of historic transformation is the notion that faculty bear some responsibility for the success of students. And that might seem like a really wild thing to say, like, what do you mean the faculty didn't think they bore any responsibility for student success? But I can tell you that in my 20 years of teaching, I never went back and looked at longitudinal student outcomes in my courses. The idea was I brought the course and the teaching. The students brought their diligence and interest and they could be as successful as they wanted to be in this static space called my course. And I think what we have now is much more of a notion of shared responsibility that the faculty member bears some responsibility for designing a course for learning and with equity in mind and that the student still has the responsibility to bring all of their diligence and attention to their success. Another piece of this post-pandemic has to do with the turn to, you know, what some people call flexibility. Uh, Other people think of as a kind of ethic of care for students. And I think what's happening right now is that we're really trying to find a balance and to find some boundaries because infinite flexibility is not good for learning and no flexibility is not good for learning. But we don't have a lot of guidance around what is the sweet spot of flexibility And it's important to remember that at an institution like mine, where a lot of courses are lecture courses, to give individual students flexibility is an enormous burden on the time of the faculty if you don't design for flexibility in advance. So one of the things that we're trying to do is teach instructors how to design in advance for flexibility. I think the final thing I would say to your question about the shift around the faculty role is just this notion of whether our public institutions are prepared for the students that we're admitting, as opposed to are the students prepared for the institution? Because basically by admitting you, we have told you that you're prepared. And so we need to change as institutions to meet the students that we're admitting and not expect the students 
to enter our institutions and then on some level have to re-qualify to be here. So that's another piece of the faculty role. Even different pedagogies or different classroom setups can impact equity when it comes to grade distribution, which obviously is not an indicator of academic success, but grades. But I was wondering what your thoughts are when it comes to redesigning classrooms and looking at equity gaps. What are you seeing? What's in the growing field of research that you're looking at? Yeah, I mean, I think mostly it's just to recenter our attention on student learning. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, everybody says it over and over again. College professors were not taught to teach. um, And that is true. We mostly replicate the way that we were taught and we design courses that look like the courses that we took. And so, you know, on my campus, what we've done is to pretty quickly stand up a sizable teaching center that is a very instructor focused teaching center. So it's not a corrective teaching center. It wants to provide support, resources and advocacy for graduate students, lecturers, and tenure track faculty who are teaching. And what we try to do is to take a design focus so that we teach people what is good course design for learning. And we're hardly alone in this, right? Every institution in the country is engaged in this activity. But we really try to think about how to design well, because one of the things that we know is that a well-designed course taught poorly yields a lot more learning than a poorly designed course taught well. And so focusing our attention on what are the learning goals of this course? What are the activities that we're doing that build toward those goals? How are we assessing whether people are making progress towards those goals? How are we responding when it turns out that some people may not be progressing towards those goals in the way that we thought they were? And so it's a much more design focused and also monitoring along the way. You know, it's not just about having one big high stakes exam at the end and giving everybody a grade and saying, well, if you didn't do well, it was your responsibility to figure that out early on. We really are taking responsibility as educators for tracking the progress of our students along the way. So that's a big part of the equity focus is just designing to in a responsive way to make sure that we're paying attention when students are falling behind or not able to grasp the material and we're putting supports in place to make sure that they can keep progressing if they want to and if they're willing to apply themselves to do so. I wonder how data is incorporated into your work or into faculty work in general at UCSC and how you mentioned longitudinal data earlier, right? Looking at different outcomes among students. Um, Yeah. What is the role of data in your role? Yeah. I mean, we have a couple different ways. So at the individual instructor level, we have a lot more tools available to us through learning management systems that can quickly tell us, let's say you've got a class of 400 students, you've got 10, eight or 10 teaching assistants you can very quickly generate a list of the students who uh, did not pass the first midterm and do outreach to them. And so there's a kind of, uh, there, there's an ease of gathering that information that maybe we didn't quite have in the past. Um, but well beyond the first course level, we have uh, dashboards that are at the individual level, the course level, the major level, the department level, and the institutional level. And we are all looking at those outcomes data constantly to make sure that we know, okay, where are the places where we have high failure rates? Can we design a better course when we have high failure rates? When we redesign a course, and this part is really critical in order to keep trust with my colleagues, right? When we redesign a course, 
and students do better in that course, it's possible that we just rigged it so that the students would do better. We, quote, lowered our standards. Mm -hmm. And so we're constantly pulling in data from the downstream courses, the courses that students take next and after that in the sequence to make sure that our redesign set them up better or learning downstream than the old version of the course. So there's a lot of kind of looking at these data in a sophisticated way that, you know, in a way sort of blocks the exits on gaming the system. The other thing that I would say is, you know, as important as outcomes data are, that's not the only question that we ask. Right. So student success is not just retention and time to degree. We need to also have an expanded notion of student success. So are they career ready? Are they life ready? Are they world ready? Are they thriving, you know, in an ideal world? Do they feel a sense of belonging? Do they feel a sense of disciplinary identity? And not only can we survey to find out the answers to some of those questions, but we can also design courses in ways that promote belonging and in ways that prohibit belonging. You know, so we try to take a, a design approach even to those more psychosocial measures such as identity and belonging. Yeah. Can you expand on that a little bit? What are some different ways that belonging can be incorporated into a course? So much of it has to do with just how you communicate. You know, I definitely, to open my shame briefcase, as Courtney Raksha says, this great educational developer in Sweden, you know, I definitely was the person who walked in on the first day and told you all the rules that we're going to obtain in my classroom. And I tried to convey that this was because I wanted you to learn and I didn't want you just to be able to coast on your prior educational privilege. But there is no doubt that I came in the door going, thou shalt not and thou shalt not. And this is what's going to happen if you do. Right. Right. And so that did not necessarily create a space for students to feel that this was affirmative as a learning environment. It basically communicated to them that I had already thought about all the ways they were not going to live up to my expectations and how I was going to punish them for that. So a huge amount of it just has to do with how you communicate. Do you come in on the first day and say, every student in this room can pass this class? And I am personally committed if you make the effort to ensuring that you can pass this class. That means a huge amount to students. For folks who, you know, themselves may be first generation, they can say, hey, I was a first generation college student and here are some hacks. You know, just to use the language of this is what it takes to succeed in the course, I'm going to give you the secret codes. You know, I'm going to tell you what success looks like. And ideally, and I used to do this in my courses too, in my sort of notoriously more difficult courses, like courses in literary theory, I would have the students from the prior year write a letter to the students in the next class about how to succeed. Because I can tell you that I can stand up there and say, if you want to succeed in this class, you have got to do the reading. And it just sounds like the parents in Charlie Brown Right. Going wah, 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 right? Whereas if they see a student who succeeded in the class and said, you know, I really with this, I really struggled with this class, but I did the reading and I went to office hours and I kept up with the writing and I sought help when I needed it uh, and I managed to prevail. And I know that it's going to seem like a hard class because it's all this weird philosophy stuff. But, you know, this class is set up for you to be able to succeed. That makes a huge difference to students. 
Yeah, that's awesome. So I'm going to ask you kind of a silly question around things off. If you had to look into your crystal ball for 2024, what trends in academic success or student success do you anticipate? So I do think there's going to be a lot more conversation about that sweet spot that I talked about Mm -hmm. uh, where, you know, setting healthy boundaries, which is something that we as faculty members can actually learn from people on the student side, on the student facing side. They have a whole literature on when students benefit from boundaries and when they benefit from flexibility. So I think there's going to be a lot more attention to setting some boundaries for our students so that they can learn and succeed. We're going to continue to have conversations about modality. Uh, and I just think that is that that is going to continue to be a big challenge. The students have spoken, you know, they want a certain amount of their coursework to be able to be done without leaving the house. Right. And um, how we respond to that as a design challenge is going to really determine whether or not we're able to retain these students. So I think those are probably going to continue to be very hot topics. And then, of course, you know, I would be remiss if I did not say, you know, that AI is mm-hmm. going to continue to be massive. I actually think it might even be If not a bigger conversation next year, it's going to be a more disciplined conversation Mm. because we've now had a year and a a year and a week or whatever it is to acknowledge that AI is here to stay. And I think we're going to begin to see, for better or worse, quite a lot of the sort of ed tech firms popping up Mm. to tell us both how to make better use of AI in teaching and learning in higher ed and also how to uh, control for some of the downsides of AI. So I think there's going to be a certain amount of kind of AI infrastructure outside the bounds of universities that's going to pop up. Yeah, that's so interesting. Well, Jody, I won't hold you forever, but thank you so much for your time. It was wonderful learning from you and I appreciate having you on. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you. And a very big thank you to our listeners for joining us today for this episode of Voices of Student Success. I'll be back in two weeks to talk about adult learners and how higher education is turning toward an older audience to meet the looming demographic cliff and what professionals need to know about supporting adult student success. That's all for this episode. I'm Ashley Maureter, and I'll see you real soon. Thanks for listening to this episode, sponsored by Inside Track, providing coaching solutions tailored to every stage of the student journey. Inside Track coaching is proven to improve student enrollment, persistence, and completion. Learn how you can unlock the power of coaching to advance your learners toward their goals at insidetrack.org/slash the key.